people thought that we were in this uh, post-misogyny, post-racism world because of Barack Obama being mm -hmm. president. Mm -hmm. And that just was not the case. Welcome back to the Her Life Blogcast. I'm your host, Rachel Malik, and this week's episode is all about local advocacy work and more specifically reproductive justice. I am joined this week by Sabrina Hannon and Kate Caffrey, both of which are co-directors at Persist NEPA, which is a grassroots feminist nonprofit organization focused on raising awareness around a variety of feminist causes. This was a really great interview. They talked us through, first of all, what Persist NEPA is and what they do at their organization, how it came to be, and how they're actively working on initiatives. Then we go into their own advocacy journey, starting with their volunteer work, when they identified as feminists, and how all of that kind of led up to Persist NEPA. Next, we get into a little vocab. We're talking about activism versus organizing. We're talking about reproductive rights versus reproductive justice. And we're going to talk a lot about Roe v. Wade and why that's been making news and then it's gone kind of quietly into the background once more. So lots to get into. So without further ado, I'm excited for you guys to meet Sabrina and Kate. It was a really great interview. They taught me a lot. Most of all, I left feeling empowered, which is what we love after an episode of the Her Life Vlogcast. So here we go. Meet Sabrina and meet Kate. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having Hi, thanks us. for having us. So excited to have you guys here. Let's kick it off. Maybe you guys each can introduce yourselves before we dive into what Persist is. You want to start, Sabrina? My name is Sabrina Hannon. I'm one of the co-directors of Persist NEPA. I have a master's in women's studies from Connecticut State University. And yeah, we've been with Persist since the beginning. Uh, both myself and Kate are founders. Oh, sweet. Okay. That was, we'll get, we'll get into that, but that's good to know. <laughs> Kate? I'm Kate Caffrey. My background is in actually educational publishing. That's what I worked in for a decade. But right now I'm actually back in school getting my BSN, my bachelor's in nursing. Oh, cool. Um, so that's what I've been working on. I went to King's College and now I'm going to Wilkes for that. Okay, sweet. We love it. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for being here. You mentioned that Persist is a new thing. You guys are founding members and now co-directors. Talk me through how that got started and how you got involved. Well, uh, so Sabrina should start off because she really is what kind of got the ball rolling on it to begin with. In 2016, Persist came about because of like the events of 2016, first with Trump winning the election and then also with the Planned Parenthood in Scranton closing without like with two weeks okay. notice, that's all the public got. And I was furious like that this could happen and nothing was done. Like we weren't, no one in the uh, public knew that that was going to happen. And one of my friends was part of now in Connecticut, the National Organization for Women. And she's like, she said, I can't believe now didn't do anything about that. And I looked and we didn't have a local chapter of now. And so she suggested that I start one. And I was like, yeah, why don't I? And so from 2016 to 2019, we were NEPA now. Okay. And we have the same board that we have now um, for, with Persist. So it's myself, Kate, Jeannie, and Margaret uh, Rebel. There are our other co-founders, Jeannie and Margaret. And they're board members. Of Persist NEPA. Yeah. yeah. And we found that while NOW is a great organization, it didn't fit exactly what we wanted to do at a local level. We wanted mm -hmm. to do 
more stuff at a local and state level and we didn't want to be within those parameters anymore so the four of us sat down and we figured out how we were going to go about setting up our own organization our own nonprofit, and then going through and figuring out what our name would be and that's how persist nipa came okay. and starting at the beginning of 2020 right before the pandemic started persist was born okay so we're like right on the heels of this new change so talk me through i guess the main differences then in distinguishing now versus persist so i feel like persist is generally speaking like a, a it casts a wider net okay I mean, now is, is very women focused and like historically speaking, the National Organization for Women focuses a lot on, um, you know, reproductive rights and very women centered issues. We try to work with, you know, the LGBTQ community. We try to work with, uh, you know, as many people who are willing to be involved as we can. And, you know, it's just it's a nicer to be able to kind of be the deciding factor behind things. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. be able to decide where we want to put our focus, where we want to put our effort. Absolutely. Yeah. So it gives you a little bit more creative control on the initiatives you guys want to tackle and lets you accommodate more of the community, right? It's more of a progressive nonprofit than it is just a strictly yeah. feminist. Yeah. And, and again, yeah, feminism is an ever evolving thing. You know, I mean, we've got first, second, third, fourth waves of feminism, and it's going to continue, you know, evolving and and growing and, you know, challenging us in different ways. So we want to make sure that we, you know, rise to that challenge. Yeah, totally. I love that. Okay, this is cool. I I wasn't sure what you guys were going to say as like how long the organization had existed. And so it's cool that you kind of created your own thing from with like the backing of a more established, you know, use that as your launching point, and then you can kind of make it what it is now. That's very cool. And, you know, we kind of, we arose in light of the Me Too movement too. I mean, that was definitely a major motivating factor. And, you know, as that's kind of gone on, we've kind of, you know, asked ourselves a lot of questions and challenged ourselves in a lot of ways. So. Totally. To zoom out, I guess a little bit, I'm curious about both of your individual journeys with advocacy work or activism in any way. Like, were you involved in school before that, just talk me through how you got to the point where now you're co-directors of an organization. So for me, before Persist, a lot of my activism was like volunteerism. Uh, I was a regular volunteer at the Ronald McDonald House. So I was working a lot with, uh, you know, women who had uh, complicated pregnancies Mm -hmm. and they would stay at this house and stay with their children, stay with their families. And, you know, I did other things around. Basically, I would go where I was needed as the opportunity presented itself. In the wake of the 2016 election, I started to organize regular legislator outreach nights where we would get together and I would bring uh, postcards and everybody would kind of uh, write their thoughts and whatever they wanted to say to their local legislators. We would provide educational prompts. We would provide, you know, stamps. We would provide it all. Everybody get together. We'd talk, we'd write, and we'd send this stuff out collectively. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's in that capacity that I basically met Sabrina. Got you. Okay. Okay. So that gives us like brings us up in our timeline. What about you, Sabrina, though? How did you get started? So my entire life, I guess it really started off when I was in the Girl Scouts doing lots of volunteering. My mother was my assistant leader. So I was in the Girl Scouts for 14 years. So really just like community service and um, volunteering um, and being active in the process. And then I also, I didn't realize it at the time, but really like hammering in those leadership skills. Yeah. And then when I was in college, I 
took a women's studies 101 class and that's when I had my like feminist awakening moment yeah. like a light bulb in my head went off mm-hmm. and I wound up being the um executive director's um, assistant for the women's studies program at Wilkes cool. and when I left Wilkes and I went to grad school um, I worked for the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame doing all the grunt work possible there. (laughs) And I also got really into anti-human trafficking work. And I ran the Elm City abolitionist group there through Love 146, um, which is an international anti-human trafficking organization. And I did a a lot of going out and educating the public on what exactly human trafficking was. Because in 2010, people think they know what human trafficking is and a lot of times they're real off on it now, Mm -hmm. but they hadn't even heard of it in 2010. And it was doing a lot of things like trying to educate people, trying to educate legislatures so we could change laws, which yeah. in the past 10 years, thankfully have changed. And then when I left grad school and came back here, I kind of floundered around a little bit. Like I did volunteer work at like Humane Society and, and things like that, but I couldn't really find my, my group. And mm-hmm. I found a group of women online on a Facebook group, which is where I met Kate and things started to really fall into place there as we were doing things like cards nights and really working on making our voices heard and supporting each other through the 2016 election. And then that's, that really brings us up to when I was just like, okay, let's get NEPA now going. Mm -hmm. And it just took off from there. And it was really fortunate, I think too, in Scranton, in Lackawanna County, um, Luzerne County, 2016 you saw a lot of groups really start to form and take off too it wasn't just us like some really big movers and shakers in the activist community have come up since then like we all kind of started at about the same time because I think we all saw a ton of problems and wanted to do something about it totally you you mentioned something that I want to circle back to because it's a question I have for both of you is do you have a particular moment in mind where you started identifying yourself as a feminist Sabrina, it sounds like maybe at college was the time for you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, certainly. And I would say I was always a feminist, but I didn't know it. Sitting in that class when feminism was being described to me and what it actually was, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, other people think this too? Yeah. And that's, that's what it was for me. Yeah. I agree. I think, I, I think I've always been a feminist and not really known it or really known how to articulate it. I think, I think my background, you know, growing up, I was definitely surrounded by a lot of like anti-feminist notions. And so I kind of had to like navigate my way out of them as I grew older and older. A lot of that navigation was with the help of my friends, like Sabrina and like, you know, my best, my best friends out there. I mean, uh, the good friendships that I developed have really like made my feminism blossom. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think there's so much to be said about communities that form around that like shared value. And this is a beautiful example of that. You know what I mean? I could see just by the way you guys are describing your own personal journeys. The point at which you guys merge seems to have been a huge turning point for both of your journeys. So I think that's a beautiful thing that I love that we get to celebrate that today. You know what I mean? So thank you for sharing. This is fun. So another question I had for you before I kind of knew the origin story was, would you say your organization is a product of Trump's America. Did you want to say anything else on that? I mean, I know you already touched on it, but if you have any other lingering feelings regarding Trump and the need for people to come together. So the, the problems that 
a row, like people think a rose after Trump was elected. They weren't new. They'd already been here. And like, especially while I was in grad school, like we talked a lot about how, because people thought that we were in this uh, post-misogyny, post-racism world because of Barack Obama being mm -hmm. president. Mm -hmm. And that just was not the case. And, but it was really hard to convince people who maybe that were living a life of privilege, but weren't aware of it, mm -hmm. that there are still very big problems that we need to work on. And when people are comfortable, it's hard to get them to do that work. So the one good thing about Trump winning the election, it showed like how much work there was to be done. Mm -hmm. And it was much easier to get people to show up and to have these very difficult conversations. It definitely, that's one, it inspired conversations that needed to be had. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I'm curious how you, the organization, and maybe you guys personally have evolved, changed, shifted your perspective in wake of the last calendar year too. Like 2020, you have the COVID angle of it, which probably made your organizing efforts a lot more difficult. So that's like a logistic problem that popped up. Then you have Black Lives Matter happening over the summertime, like the resurgence of that. And again, this we talked about this like renewed inspiration. I think we definitely saw that again. And then the election in November with like a sign of hope, but obviously like still work to be done. Talk me through just how you guys managed the last year. Well, I mean, from an organizational point, as you said, I mean, there was very little that we could accomplish beyond things like fundraising or mm -hmm. donations and, you know, kind of raising awareness. We couldn't, there was no, you know, capacity to gather. Right. And so awareness raising was very much on the, on the internet. Like it had mm -hmm. to be a, a fairly social media platform type of a thing. And for us, especially when Black Lives Matter um, had the resurgence, because we were in the middle of a pandemic, like we didn't want to, we wanted to, encourage people to be involved however best they could safely mm -hmm. so we also wanted to make room for black voices you know yes. like we don't want to overstep our bounds we want to give the voices that are due the time that they deserve for sure we highlighted uh black scranton for example a lot they are a fantastic organization and glennis really did a lot of work talking about um because the the pandemic disproportionately affected folks of color. So we wanted to make sure that we were recognizing that. And a lot of it was honestly sharing Black Scranton's information. Um, I think we had- Pushing traffic towards that. Um, yeah, and I think we even, didn't we have a link up to give donations to them? Yeah, we were, we, we, we still have it up, I'm pretty sure. It's just kind of constantly there. We kind of have a link up that has the links to uh, different organizations' donation links, so. Cool. Yeah, so I like that, just kind of using the platform that you have built, but recognizing when it's like, it's maybe not your time to shine, but there's ways you can kind of, like you said, drive the traffic. That's cool to see. And yeah. I think it's encouraging that I think, it's even comparing 2016 to 2020, at least my experience is like the amount of information available on social media and the amount of people talking about it was way so far increased. So I think it's like, we're on the right track, which is good. But like a lot of that work falls to you guys then who have the platforms to kind of tell the people what to do. You know what I mean? With this new interest that they're just kind of grappling with. Yeah. I don't know. This year has been weird, but I just, I was curious to get your takes on that. 
the next thing I kind of want to talk to you guys about, we're kind of going back to basics, feminism 101, also just like advocacy 101. I want you to lay out some, some like vocab terms for us. Um, the first thing is activism versus organizing. What is the difference and how do you guys, you know, see your roles in that? Okay. So organizers, obviously like they go beyond the activist intent because mm-hmm. they're working to actually implement the change right. and the movement. It's beyond public performance and it's beyond the act of showing up. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes organizers are the ones who have to sit down with people of opposing viewpoints and try to work with them and have those really challenging conversations because maybe we don't agree on subject A, but we agree on subject B, but how do we navigate to subject B and stick to that without ripping each other apart on subject A? And it can be taxing and tiresome because you also, for example, if you agree on something like, Uh, there needs to be more public school funding. But what you don't agree on is that all people are humans. And like, if you're race, if the other person's racist and you're not, you probably can't work through that. Um, And knowing the difference and like when it's okay to walk away is also important for organizers. Mm -hmm. I would, I would say all organizers are activists, but most activists aren't organizers. Mm -hmm. So would you say it's, fair to say like organizers are the ones dealing with the more institutionalized issues and kind of break like using the structures themselves to create the solutions whereas activists are the ones who kind of come to the march that the organizers organized it's definitely yeah organizers are you know they move beyond the okay we're all here now what do we do Mm mm-hmm yeah okay no that's good that's helpful because I think some people conflate the two and I think it's important to give you guys the credit of the organizing work and also just shine a light on the fact that there is a lot of behind the scenes stuff to pivot now to one of your initiatives you said a couple was it 2019 you guys did the rally for reproductive justice mm-hmm. okay so that leads me to a conversation that I think I want to focus on mainly just because I think there's a lot of confusion I guess over reproductive rights versus reproductive justice like what is the difference there and what what do we need to know like what is the average person like, what should we understand about the causes so like Historically speaking, reproductive rights kind of focus on that dichotomy of pro-choice versus pro-life. Mm. Reproductive rights is essentially born out of that issue. And the causes of reproductive rights largely focus on achieving individual reproductive freedom. It's and the legal the, framework. Yeah, mm. the ways that it can be achieved in like policy and society. Mm-hmm. Reproductive justice focuses more on the ways gender, the ways uh, race, Uh, the ways socioeconomic status impact a person's experience with reproductive health and with associated reproductive policies. Mm. And it's important to note that reproductive justice is a movement that was founded by Black women in the 1990s. It was founded by, let me just look at this, the uh, National Black Women's Health Project. Okay. I just want to make sure I got that name right. Yeah. And what they essentially did was, you know, they had organized out of a separate organization that was focused on essentially calling out the reproductive rights movement for its lack of inclusivity. Mm-hmm. And it looked to statistics about the burden that people of color bear when it comes to access to contraception and how difficult it is for that particular community. Historical injustices like forced sterilization 
um, and other things like environmental racism. So yeah, reproductive justice is more, you know, kind of looking at the underlying things going on in society that impact how certain populations are experiencing reproductive health and reproductive rights. And reproductive rights is more along the lines of the legal perspective. Mm. Right. So it's it's fair to say then that reproductive justice issues have been going on for far longer than anybody's been talking about reproductive rights. Like these are things that are ingrained into the fabric of society. I didn't know that it was an effort um, founded by Black women. So I'm glad that you emphasized that. To go back a couple months ago, and this is just like a blank in my knowledge that I'm hoping you guys can help me fill, talking about Roe v. Wade. Because this was like a very hot button issue recently with Amy Coney Barrett, right? Of like, is it going to be overturned? And now like nobody's talking about it. So are are we in the clear? Like, forgive me if this sounds like a silly question, but like, are are we good? Should we still be worried? What are we well, doing? This, Where are we at? This is a hard this is a hard question to answer given the the vagueness of well, pretty much any conservative Supreme Justice's answers to kind mm. of questions like this. The last I checked, Amy Coney Barrett does not believe that Roe v. Wade qualifies as what the Supreme Court often terms as a super precedent, like a super precedent case. Mm-hmm. Super precedent case basically uh, is believed to be like unchallengeable. Mm-hmm. So in her admission of that, in admitting that she doesn't believe that this is a super precedent, she believes that there are, that this is a case that could potentially, that has the capacity to be reopened. She also, in, in her very vague statements that she made, mind you, she was saying that even though she doesn't believe it's a super president, she also doesn't necessarily think that that means it would be overruled. However, she clearly believes that the case is challenge worthy. So that's just something that we're kind of being constantly vigilant of. Because is it an active threat? I, I can't say. Is it kind of like a looming concern in the background? Generally speaking, yes. I mean, right. I think so. And building off of what Kate said, so the problem with having someone who is very vague on something that impacts more than half the people in this country, the way a case like that would get brought back up to the Supreme Court is by a state or multiple states changing their laws, which is currently happening in the United States right now. There's two states that have written these horrendous laws in um, one is still being voted on, but one was just put into law, I believe. It's in one of the Southern states. And basically it says absolutely no, in no circumstances are, is abortion okay unless the mother's life is in danger. So that's something that most likely will be challenged. And if it works its way up to the Supreme Court, the more people you have that are, wishy-washy on answering those questions it it is a something to be concerned about and definitely something to keep your eye on because just because like here in Pennsylvania this isn't our law that doesn't mean that it won't like another state changing their laws can very much so impact the folks in Pennsylvania as well and I mean that's, that's I would say the bigger threat is new cases related to reproductive rights making their way to the Supreme Court and then ending up in front of these judges who have these conservative ideologies that are that could be you know potentially guiding their judicial decisions you know i mean in pennsylvania to you know to speak to to states 
changing laws. I mean, there have been multiple attempts in this state to mm-hmm. introduce basically anti-abortion rights laws. I mean, there was mm-hmm. just one in like two years ago wow. called the heartbeat bill. Do you remember, do you remember guys remember yep. the heartbeat bill? Mm-hmm. That was, you know, conservative legislators in the state in Pennsylvania Congress mm-hmm. tried to, you know, get passed. And I mean, luckily we have currently a governor who has promised to veto any law that basically would try to um, restrict abortion rights. However, our governor is in his last electable term this year. Mm -hmm. So our coming gubernatorial election is going to be an important one because we want to elect someone who's going to uphold these promises. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that makes sense what you said. This is essentially the green light for anybody, any state that's on the fence about it. It's like, oh, well, now there is this precedent of like people challenging it and the potential for it to go all the way up. And I think it's interesting what you said about like the super precedent. Is that the term? Super precedent. Yeah. Super precedent. Because I think just common knowledge wise, Roe v. Wade has got to be one of the most well-known decisions ever, right? Like I feel like someone who doesn't know a lot, you you know, you can flag Roe v. Wade as a significant, important and good decision. I mean, obviously now I'm putting my own perspective on it, but I don't know. That's wild to me. And thank you for walking me through it. And I think also this makes sense why it's so hard to find concrete information because from what you guys are telling me, there really isn't much. Like the fact that everybody is so wishy-washy is the flaw in the problem and why we can't, I can't Google like, will Roe v. Wade be overturned? Like what is, I couldn't find any like good information. That is is the strategy. That is the strategy of these people to kind of, uh, you know, pull the curtain over it. Just Right. And like hope that people stop talking about it because that's what's happened. Like since she was confirmed, it's like, okay, it was like this big on the top of everyone, everyone's minds. But this is a good reminder for me to like, like you said, keep it in the back of your head because we need to be thinking about it for the governor's race and things like that. So thank you for walking me through that. I was just like, I felt silly because I didn't understand totally. So I feel good that we're like caught up on that regard. And like you said, good to keep in the back, in the back of our minds. So thank you. The only other thing I really have for you guys, like I mentioned earlier, my little teaser is how to get involved. If somebody wants to volunteer or donate, walk us through the ways we can help you specifically at Persist NEPA. I mean, like I said, at the moment, we're kind of, um, I mean, in terms of involvement, we're on hold. I feel like involvement these days is pretty like, you know, limited to like social media initiatives, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's exactly that. Like we will still post, like if we're doing a donation drive, like sometimes we'll do drives and things like that and have like a drop-off point or something like that. That's about all we can do right now. That was all um, we were, that was all we could, we were doing during the pandemic was basically, um, you know, asking for various donations mm-hmm. and kind of just like tipping our hat to the organizations that need money to right. continue operating and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. So just good to keep an eye on your social media pages. Any information we need will be there. So while I'm on the topic, plug that. Like, where do we find your Instagram, your Facebook? What do people search to find you? Oh, we're at PersistNEPA on Instagram. Our Facebook is literally facebook.com slash PersistNEPA. Our email is PersistNEPA at gmail.com. You know, you can reach out to us in any way. Okay, cool. Good to know. Because Twitter is too much. (laughs) Yeah. We don't do Twitter. Twitter that's, is not Honestly, that's fair. You got Facebook, you got Instagram. The people can find you. That's totally fair. The only <laughs> closing question I have for you guys, I guess, more broadly speaking, is any tips you have for people who are very interested in helping, whether it's a feminist cause or 
an anti-racism cause or anything, but who might be experiencing burnout. Any tips for avoiding the dying down of, you know, the hype that we're feeling now because we're very much in it? Um, what are your tips? How have you combated it personally? For me, I know, like, I have built an amazing support system of Kate's one of those people, like, where they have, we have similar interests. And when something comes up and it's just like, man, this is really awful, but I don't have the mental capacity to deal with this right now. Mm -hmm. And just having somebody else be like, I totally get it. And kind of giving you the okay to be like, why don't you sit down for this? Take a breather, go take a bubble bath or whatever it is. Go, go take a walk if the weather is nice Mm -hmm. and I'll handle this. Um, I think it's very important to we're big advocates of self-care like you know it's impossible to keep up with the world that we live in and all the things that are happening in it and it's perfectly okay you need to take a breather and you know um however long that may be I personally love bubble baths that's that's how Mm -hmm. I like to wind down Mm -hmm. but also my friendship groups are very much like my anti-anxiety meds a lot of the times when it comes Mm -hmm. to certain things when it comes to being feeling overwhelmed yeah especially. I love that. So seek out the people who listen to this episode, for example, like find people who have a similar passion and let them kind of, you know, disperse the work. I think that's all great. Also for me, I don't, uh, I, I'm a big, I like to read about feminism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like to read about the historical woman and in doing so, I feel like, uh, I connect to all of these generations who like had all of these feelings that I have now. Mm -hmm but they maybe, you know, couldn't talk about them the way that I could, you know, the way Mm -hmm. that we could, the way that we're sitting here right now and talking about them. And so it's like, I find comfort in that connection. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think that's a beautiful place to end. That's like a very hopeful, nice note. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to sit down with me. I was thrilled to learn a little bit more about your organization and I look forward to being more of a part of it, especially once it becomes a little more normal and we can, you know, meet in person. I hope to meet you both relatively soon and and to help you guys out with some of the efforts because you guys are doing really great work and I'm really glad I found you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us. Oh, you're the best. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Bye. All right. Thanks everyone for tuning in once again this week. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to follow us on Spotify or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. A rate and review would be so great. You can find us on Instagram at her.blog.life. You can find blog posts at herbloglife.online. For behind the scenes videos of recordings like this one, just search Rachel Malik on YouTube and subscribe to my channel there. Like I said, thanks for listening. We'll see you next Sunday for another episode. I'm Rachel Malik. This has been the Her Life Blogcast. <laughs>